Hi, my name is John Kim, and I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth. I share my feelings and revelations. I believe in casual or clinical and with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. So Buddy and I met on Craigslist, Casual Encounters. Um, I've actually used that joke over 9,000 times. There should be an expiration date on jokes. All my friends would agree. I have like four jokes that I just use over and over, and that's my how I met Buddy Wakefield joke. Anyway, uh, Buddy Wakefield and I met uh, at uh, my CrossFit box back in the day, and the CrossFit mindset in Los Feliz, and I started to run groups because I wanted to help people uh, process their workouts, and that's where... Um, I met Buddy, and he started attending these groups. I found out quickly that uh, he's a very authentic guy, but uh, also we spoke the same language. We both speak uh, broken Korean in a, at a fourth grade level. No, we spoke the same language in that uh, we're both seekers and curious and interested in uh, things that we can't see. And so um, – like energy and serendipity and all of that. And so uh, we connected on that. And then we started to run uh, these dinners called Nine based on uh, people, uh, random people colliding and people we didn't know and having conversations that we wouldn't uh, normally have uh, out in the, the quote-unquote real world because these conversations were abstract and different. And so um, – then, then, of course, we got busy and started doing other things. But he's still my friend. I still love him to death. Um, he's a very busy guy. He's on tour. He's a world champion, spoken word poet, also did a, an amazing TED Talk, is also an author, an actor, has many gifts. Buddy Wakefield is not just a person. He is an experience. Um, he is an experience, and that's uh, – I mean that as, as uh, a very high compliment. One of my favorite people. Here he is. Buddy Wakefield. I am uh, in studio, and by in studio, I mean in my kitchen with two $9 microphones and a computer with one of my favorite people, Buddy Wakefield. Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. So uh, the concept of this is basically, um, let's just talk like no one's listening, and then hopefully people will listen. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, um, man, where do you want to start? I... I I like what you just said. Let's start with that, and then we'll Tarantino it. Then we'll put a bookmark there and go backwards. Um, you were just when I was testing this thing. You were just saying where you were at, right? Yeah. So I was where, where are you at? I like what you just said. Uh, I was saying that at forty-five, you would think I had. Uh, I would think that I had um, uh, set better boundaries. My, my my whole life, I've heard of people talk about setting boundaries and. Uh, it turns out I didn't set as many as I thought I did. And so I recently cut the cord on three really important people in mm -hmm. my life and, and, and within reason and, uh, and in a balanced way um, because I just realized I am one of the most considerate people I know. I, 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 uh, I try to see things from 360 degrees. If yeah. I have a blind spot, I'm a growth junkie and I'm open to learn from that. Um, I, uh, I, I, I like people to know that... Uh, I see that they're having a certain experience I may not be having. I like to validate their viewpoint. And, and I like to do that honestly. It's just something that comes natural to me. And I've been that way my whole life. And so I've just realized when people don't offer me that same respect, it's not something I expect anymore. But if it's something that is unhealthy and doesn't play to my strengths and people aren't acknowledging where I'm coming from as well, I no longer have time for that in my life. And I'm, I'm just excited to be around people like yourself and other people who have a certain level of awareness and participate in their existence. And oh, I wasn't one of the three? And contribute. No, no, no. Okay, good. No, no. I, uh, Wait, so this is actually a really important topic because a lot of people, especially people that have um, helped in the past, struggle with boundaries and shaking the tree and especially if they're good friends or if there's history with them and of course family um how how do you cut the gourd quote unquote for you is it, is well, it really just like that a, that cut and dry or is it a gradual slow burn it's both the gradual slow so it begins with myself i recently yeah. had to cut the cord with myself on certain decisions i make I've made, there's a, there's a sense that I've been living with where I rise from falls that I keep taking in vain mm -hmm. just for a reason to stand yep. because I'm professional at exercising my trauma. I'm a professional at, um, 
yeah, helter skelter at navigating the suffering and I get it. I'm good at it. And so I'm having to cut the cord with myself. That's what does that look like real quick? First cutting the cord with yourself. Well, for me first, it looks like I'm five weeks sober today. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, tomorrow. I'm five weeks sober tomorrow. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it's been a lifetime of it since I was 14 years old. Um, I've been really mischievous and what I've previously called smart about it, where I've just shifted addictions my entire life. So it never looks like I'm strung out on one thing, whether it's been food or sex or you throw a buddy through the wide net. Yeah, do and wait. Do you do that so it's not one specific addiction? Because then that means that there's you know what I'm saying. So it's not alcohol or it's not this, or right? Not sex, but it's like everything. Yeah, and then so it's built up over the years into this just fucking. I'm sorry. Can we cuss on this? Yeah, one? of course. Yeah. Uh, until it's just this party because I go all or nothing. Yeah. And so, you're, but you're very extreme. But also, I think that that's one of your gifts. Um, if you haven't uh, noticed already, buddy is a uh, poet. And I think there, I, I think the middle is where it's lukewarm. So you kind of, mm. as an artist, you have to go extreme. Yeah. But I think it also ripples into like your personality and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, I don't think I've had to go extreme. I think I just have. It's been my natural disposition. Uh, I've I've always been a bit of an intense fella. I'm aware of it now. There's only you know so many cashiers and people when you're talking to them who kind of lean back and get wide eyed and yeah. stare back at you that are a reflection of how intense you're coming off. So. I, um, I get that that's about me and that I've always been all or nothing. And I'm really excited about how aware of it I am now, cutting the cord with the things that, 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 that perpetuate that and finding a little more balance. And that's why this is the end of the poetry chapter for me in the beginning of the, the Hollywood chapter where I get to anchor a little more, write for a wider audience and in a, in a new format like screenwriting where I actually have to... Uh, I actually have to have a lot more balance, a story arc, and I can't just wash over people the way I can with poetry. Mm. You know, um, when you say you're intense, I agree, but I disagree because when I think about you, um, I think about uh, breath and meditation and all the mm. stuff that you, all the work that you've done. And so, uh, yes, you can be intense, but there's also a calmness about you. And then when I saw you earlier today, I told you there was, I saw clarity in your eyes, you know? Um, yeah. So you, you're interesting because I think when you, uh, want to be intense you can you can obviously mm-hmm. and then falling off the wagon and all that but overall you're actually i think very calm thank you there's a couple of thank you so it's been 15 years of, of meditation of practice uh I, about 15 i started in 2005 of a vipassana meditation course you know that that is the love of my life that it's that it, uh, Dhamma, For those who don't know, what is Vipassana? Uh, well, Dhamma, D-H-A-M-M-A dot org. Vipassana is a Pali word for to see clearly. Uh, it's a 10-day, it's basically the boot camp of meditation. It's yeah. a 10-day meditation course, 11 hours a day. And there's no idol worship or rites or rituals. It is just the science of breath and sensations and observing them without reacting in order to come out of habit patterns and blind reactions. And, uh, and, it's, and they provide a space to do that. If anybody tries to charge you money, you're in the wrong place. Again, that's dhamma.org. Uh, it's just a free technique being offered now there's about 250 centers around the world um i've got a tedx talk on it online on youtube um what is the benefits for you would have been uh through meditation well what i already said which is uh coming out of blind reactions and habit patterns um also some of this is with age and some of it's with meditation there's just things i don't plug into anymore Mm, like what negativity (laughs) you know yeah whatever 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 just doesn't play to my strengths there's i don't have a lot of room for silliness i don't have a lot of room for i don't want to say small talk because i really actually enjoy small talk on the right occasions um i do enjoy talk about the weather there's a certain element of that though that i'm not willing to go into i'm not willing to accept uh I have a lot of family and friends in, in middle America, in, in, in the South, or who are conservative in the city. And uh, I don't have a lot of room for unawareness anymore mm, without calling right. it out or detaching from right. it. Right. So going back to this idea of cutting the cord, is that part of why you cut the cord with these three? Is there a lack of unawareness? In that? There is. Yeah. Um, and all smart people. Sure. All lovely people. Sure. But um, one who, you know, thank you and I'm sorry are the gateway words to vulnerability. Yeah. And so some people can't, won't access that. And so if thank you and I'm sorry aren't part of your vocabulary, I'm not interested in hanging. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in, in progressing is, is better said. I, I'm actually 
would be totally down to hang. <laughs> oh, right. So, you, so know, you mean you're not interested in going deeper? You're not interested in them being, you know... Yeah, the, they don't the, have the, access to a certain part of me anymore. Right, right. They which is, which is vulnerable. Yeah, <laughs> right. you don't get the vulnerable part of me anymore if, if you can't show up. Oh, I like that. And, I, um, I like that, you know, because, you know, I talk about non-negotiables. Yeah. And so what is emerging is that's one of your non-negotiables. Yeah. You're not willing to negotiate that. And so one of the things, this is, this is a real risk to say uh, on a podcast... Um, you know what? I won't name. It's somebody in my family sure. who actually comes to my shows, and then like you know, the, I did a show, a sold out show in Rockefellers with Rudy Francisco recently in Houston. We turned the place upside down. I was one of three white people on the stage that night out of about twenty who were all participating in some form or another. There was a Muslim gentleman who did an amazing piece. Uh, just about being Muslim and not being stereotyped. Most of the identity poems that night, it's intense. People come off angry, and there's a reason for the outrage. And people, people like in my family who are white and 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 you know a lot of blind spots, uh, they say things like, "Well, I wish they weren't so angry." Yeah. And um, and so I hear that, and I and I've tried to talk with them. Anyways, where I'm going with this is that we turn the place upside down. Um, the next that night and the next day. My family, somebody in my family that's important to me never said one word. I can't imagine having a child and seeing them sell out a venue, be a force of good in this world, and not say something to them. That's an expectation on my part, which, I'm, which is why I'm cutting the cord. I no longer have this expectation. Mm. Um, but the next day on top of that, instead of saying anything awesome to me about what went down, they posted some racist meme about Muslims. Oh. And, um, and so the cord gets cut there. That's an obvious cord uh, f for a lot of us at this point. And, and then the other one is just an ex-partner who we, we suffered through it for. We, we really loved each other, wanted it to work. We didn't play to each other's strengths. I took all the responsibility because I can be a difficult guy. And... Uh, um, but I was taking all that on my own shoulders and yeah. I wasn't giving him any of the credit for bullshit. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and it turns out in the end, financially, mentally, emotionally, I gave everything I had, literally everything I had to make it work. And I showed up all the way. Yeah. And I realized after nine years of being under a spell, um, that that's what I did. I actually did that, and that's not what I received. Right. And and there and there was no thank you. Or I'm sorry for all that I gave or all that was lost. So a lopsided relationship. Yeah. And so and then a huge part, which is the most important part, I believe, is that I can't have expectations of people who aren't capable of showing up. We'll be right back after this brief message. So I have tried many meal delivery services throughout the years because I have no idea how to cook. And I gotta say, Saqqara is my favorite. Here's what I love about Saqqara. Not only are they organic and nutritionist and delicious and plant-based, they are specifically designed to enhance your energy, improve digestion, and help with healthy weight loss. So basically, you're not getting meals, you're getting meal programs. And this is amazing because then you don't have to think about what is in your meals. You don't have to think about the nutrition you want to put in your body. All you have to do is eat. And if you like to eat like me, then that is going to be convenient and worth every penny. I want to give you $60 off your first order. $60 off. Just go to sakara.com, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash angry therapist. Go to sakara.com slash angry therapist. Get 60 bucks off. And try these guys. They're amazing. They're delicious. And they've gotten uh, rave reviews from Vogue and Goop and the New York Times. So everyone's talking about them. They're not only delicious, but they have a meal program. So you can enhance your energy, improve digestion, and of course, live better. I can, I can say the boundary. I can say what's going on and why I'm separating myself. But I can no longer have expectations of how you're supposed to respond to me. And this is, it shows up in micro ways for me too where I've had to get over. Like if I hold the door open for somebody and they walk in without saying thank you, I used to go, you're welcome. I can't do that oh, anymore. Right, right, right. So that's a, that's, a, that's a thing. Those are tiny little you yeah. know, threads I cut with myself sure, that sure. can't do that anymore. Um, as passive aggressive as a, as a useless hood ornament. <laughs> Would you say that most people, because when you say when you say showing up, I'm actually, as you're saying that, thinking about just the people around in my daily life, there's actually very few, uh, depending on your definition of showing up, who actually do show up. Mm. There are very few who actually put the shield mm -hmm. down or say thank you. Um, what was the other one? Thank you. I, I'm thank sorry. Thank you. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, or take ownership. Uh, most people are 
defensive. Yeah. And that comes from their story. Most people are walking reactions. And they need to be right. 100%. But I think most people are like that. And mm -hmm. then there are a few uh, nuggets of gold. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, that that's just the way the world is. That's the joy of life that I'm entering into. Um, where I'm surrounded by richness, whether that's mm. where, where, where it's, it's, it's people who are showing up. That's who I'm surrounded by. And that's a sustainable joy in my life. I'm not willing to give that up anymore. I used to be embarrassed about certain privileges or things that I was acquiring because we grew up so poor and struggling for everything. And I thought that it wasn't cool to be rich. I thought it wasn't cool to have, um, to have balanced, thoughtful friends who weren't just rebellious and fighting and getting fucked up all the mm -hmm. time. Uh, it was a certain pride, you know, when you don't have anything, in, 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 but you still have a sense of pride as a human, you take pride in not having anything. Right. I'm, not, I'm no longer taking pride in that. What I'm taking pride in is the work that I've done and how I've showed up mm. um, to build momentum toward that which I know is going to make me and everybody around me, uh, uh, for lack of better words, it's better. Yeah, I love uh, the reminder you just said uh, that um, putting weight on... Um, how far you've come. That's basically what you said, putting weight on mm -hmm. your character arc, mm -hmm. your revelations, uh, the work that you've put in yourself. It's very hard to do that in our world because we put weight on, you know, things, right? The house, the car, the whatever, yeah. the relationship. Um, and we rarely think about, wow, I actually did a lot of work on myself or I've come out the other end and value, that's not valuable. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I, th I don't know if this... Something that's come up for me while you're saying this is that the showing up part. Um, I think a lot of people hear that and do say, you know, what does that look like for you? What does that mean? How do I do that? Yeah, yeah. It's circumstantial and it depends. And I think a way to find out your answer is to not have a mouthful of answers or to not try and come right. up with the answer. So explore Investigate it, sure. Yeah. Investigate is a big part of it. And and this has been a huge one for me. Listening. And I mean listen. And that's not to just people talking. That's to the observer in your head. And when uh, I think there's a voice that'll say, who's the observer? And the observer is the person that just observed you saying, who's the observer? Right. It, it goes like that. And there's a mathematical theory where when you split something in half, you can split it in half forever. Mm -hmm. And you can do that with that observer thing until you get basically to the source. Now we're getting into metaphysics and enlightenment. But, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. But um, showing up to listen, when I really started getting serious about my meditation and committing full on the first, the first thing that came to my head and heart when I listened were the words transmute density. Those explain themselves if you know what the word transmute and density mean. <laughs> but to me, it shows up as a dissolution, as a dissolve of physically and mentally the thickness in my head, the, 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 the deep groove that I've worn in circles in the rock with the same thoughts of defending myself and yep. how I was right and sitting in the car having an argument with the cop that didn't pull me over and, you know, like those things. It's, it's, uh, it's astonishing how many of those conversations we have. Yeah, um, I think showing up actually means distance. And what I mean by distance is um, everything that what you're talking about, the stuff that happens in between our ears. It's closing the gap. Well, not allowing yourself to be hooked by that or reacting from that, but mm -hmm. actually uh, seeing it almost like through a snow globe, mm -hmm. letting it run, mm -hmm. not fighting it. Uh, but with that distance, uh, then you almost um, are... You're, you, I don't know what the word is, neutral, you're pure, you're present. From the observer. Yeah. Yes, yes. You're, you're, you're not attached. It's a detachment. To, you know, Eckhart Tolle... Distance. Yes. Eckhart Tolle talks about finding the space in everything, in sounds, in sight, in feelings, in your thoughts, to observe the space. And he doesn't much elaborate on that in the book. I can't remember if it was in A New Earth or The Power of Now. But he does talk about... I think it was A New Earth. And he talks about observing the space. And that resonated with me to the maximum. But he didn't unpack it. So I had to just listen and watch and observe the space so that it would unpack itself by just following the direction of someone I loved and trusted wholeheartedly. Eckhart Tolle is in alignment with all of my fundamentals and all of my experiences. And I trust him and the, and the, and the, uh, the talk that he walks or the walk that he talks, 
You know what I mean? I, I just trust him implicitly. So when Eckhart says, find the space in everything, I trust that if I do that, I'm going to be further along the path toward where he's living. Because um, I've always been living or writing to my ideal self. It's just been taking a long time to fill that man's shoes. Um, and so the example is that, yeah, that space that you're speaking of, it was, I, I know it because I, I really have experienced observing it. And it's also the thing that's helped me sleep better. Yeah. Uh, when I'm in bed, I'll say, right. I'll ask myself, what, what else can I relax? Even if I think I'm totally relaxed. Mm -hmm. And it's that, mm -hmm. it's that theory again, where you split in half and it goes forever and more and more and more like cellularly, you can relax more until you're yeah. dissolved. So that's the space that I well, look for. Well, this is for. also the byproduct of meditation. Exactly. Right. And so I think a lot of people in meditation, they're not listening. They still have a brain full of answers. Yeah, sure. They sit down and they're like, okay, I'm going to control this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to get this story aligned. I'm going to breathe so that I can do this. So I can uh, uh, manipulate the story correctly. My identity, my story. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. It's uh, my narrative without even knowing that they're doing it. When the real objective in the original form of meditation before there were 10,000 books in Barnes and Noble trying to make it something more than it was, which is the science of breath, is to just observe the touch of the breath incoming, outgoing, no imagination, no mantras, no nothing, just observe breath without reacting, do nothing. Can you be in a meditative state um, while doing something active? Meaning, um, does it have to be the kind of classic example of sitting cross, you know, cross, uh, cross legged on the floor? No. Can, can you, can yeah. you be, so for example, running a marathon, can you be in a meditative state? Can you meditate while making love? Can you meditate while doing, uh, uh, uh butterfly pull-ups? Can you meditate through fitness? You know so saying? that's where the balance of life comes in is, 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 is I'm learning it. I, I don't have the, uh, that's what I yes, is, yes is the answer. And I'm not entirely, uh, sure that I'm good at it yet. What I'm aware of is that we're all on this planet to experience, we've all arrived here to experience form. Mm -hmm. Now that I've had some time to do that, I'm seeing the balance in when I sit still cross-legged, that's when I can, you know, be when there's silence, when there's all the things that are necessary for me to get maximum benefit of meditation without distraction. When I've got the actual distraction, that's me experiencing form. And so I'm observing the form and how, what it's doing to my body, how it relates to my thoughts, what my thoughts, you know, thoughts leads to feeling lead to action. And these bodies were created out of, out of thought. Billions and billions and billions of, Sankara is the word. It's a popular word. I don't know how to, uh, yes is the, is the simple answer. Yes, you can be in a, one can be in a meditative state doing these things. Um, do I think there's distraction? Yes. Uh, is it is effective? See, I don't. I don't know. For yeah, for the yeah. Buddha, it was. For right. Eckhart, it seems to be. Right. Not for me yet. I, I I need to be still. But that's also. I've got a vibration that's largely off the chart. Some days. Sure. Um, this idea of when your mind, body, soul, kind of the intersection between those three, where you actually. Um, where you disappear mm -hmm. because whatever you're doing is um, you're so deep in. So mm -hmm. uh, whether it's writing or art mm -hmm. or, or writing. Essencelessness. The no I, there's no I. That took me a yeah, long time to so understand. That, so that to me um, is sustainable for pre people who like mm -hmm. me. I can't sit still for 30 seconds. I know. So, uh, <laughs> but I can, so like I just went into the woods and rode motorcycles with um, a group, a group of dudes for, um, days yeah and in that state you you literally have an out-of-body experience mm -hmm. where you're um well the earth's going to meet you where you're at this yeah. whole atmosphere is going to meet you where you're at it, in fact i heard one of the coaches at the gym we go to emily say to uh, someone she was training meet the meet them where they're at yeah that's all and, I love and that's that that's yeah. what this life does for yeah. us and so if you're not somebody who can sit still cross-legged for 10 days, 11 hours a day. Right. But on your motorcycle, surrounded by people you love, that's what's dissolved. That's what's transmuting that's the density, started. the hard stuff, the right. dense, the, the thick-headedness. Yes. Um, God damn, that's the most important thing then. That's, yeah. that's top priority. And I just, I mentioned this because, you know, meditation is such a big word now. It's a, it's a buzz, buzzword in the wellness community. So many assumptions um, around it. Yes, there's also, there's apps. And when you, and when you, cliche, a, when you cliche a word, it starts to suck. Everybody yes, makes fun of yes. it. Mindfulness is, is now sort of a joke. Yes. But it doesn't gratitude, take away. Gratitude, yeah. you know, like, what an amazing, what an amazing concept. And excuse me, the word is fucked up. <laughs> I'm sure that was a, that's right. I'm getting old man noises, but gratitude is such a, it's my jam and I can't stand using the word. Yeah. Because it's, because it's, a and that's my job as a poet and spoken word artist is yeah. to, is to, is 
innovative, crisp language that still speaks to the to the bottom of the barrel. Um, because I think there's people like Eckhart or, or Deepak Chopra who are speaking their language, gratitude and light and all of this stuff, um, which is legit. But the people at the bottom of the barrel are hearing it like, yeah, fuck off. And so that's my job is that what I see as my purpose is having experience with that lo location frequency in life. Um, is to speak to that, to leave clear writing on the wall and how to maybe get out of that or at least point a finger in the right direction. And so far, it seems to be successful. I've been a touring poet for 20 years, yeah. making a good living. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about your career. Let's talk about um, all of that, your, uh, where you're going, your true north, what you're building. Yeah. But I want to put a bookmark here. Okay. And I want to start with something that I read. I think you posted on Instagram. It made me laugh out loud. It was something about... Um, in high school, someone uh, grabbed you and oh, said... in that seventh grade. In seventh grade, someone grabbed you and said they want lunch money from you for the rest of the year. And <laughs> and you said it gave you a boner. Yeah. And, I, and it's when I read that, I was like, that is exact... Like, it encaptured who you were, right? Yeah. There was so much truth, but also it was really yeah. funny. Well, this is a true story. Well, that, well I, I kind of thought Moore, it was In too, the yeah. seventh grade, Jimmy Moore shoved me up against the wall, held his arm across my throat, and told me if I didn't give him 50 cents a day for the rest of the school year, he would beat me up. I got a boner. And at least <laughs> once a week, at least once a week, I would miss payment on purpose, but Jimmy never beat me up. So <laughs> His I, integrity I, and business I, sense as a bully I, were awful. I, I, I love this for many reasons. One, I love the courage that you had to post that, right? Yeah. Um, I just love the honesty, the, the just truth, man. It's yeah. fucking, it takes courage to go there. And two, of course, humor. Three, um, it makes it, it, you know what's interesting about that is it, it. There's like an emotional rainbow. One, it makes me laugh. Then it kind of makes me sad yeah. because I care about you, and I know yeah, as yeah. growing up, someone bullies you or whatever. Yeah. And then, and then the boner part is almost like you won. It's almost like you, right. got, you took the power back. That's you what, know. So the new book unpacks why. What is your new book called? Called A Choir of Honest Killers. By the way, I used to, I used to, Jimmy stopped talking to me because I annoyed him so badly because I would chase him down to give him my fifty cents. <laughs> I was so sad about it. <laughs> this is this is really it. That's really flipping the script. That's emotional IQ, though. Is when someone bullies you and you're like, oh. <laughs> but I didn't even know I was doing it. Now you liked it. Now I have this. Well, I I'm excited about a, uh, a script that I'm in the process of writing that I'm really excited about that really flips the script like this and answers basically answers the question, to what advantage would a person put themselves at the bottom of the food chain or destroy themselves? Because the whole object of our ego is to, the whole objective is to protect ourselves, uh, supposedly. Um, and so what would acquiescing or being a masochist or what would that do to work to one's advantage and why would a person put themselves there? And so one of the first pieces in the book, it's called Strawberry, um, absolutely unpacks that. And it goes right into my attraction to Ramzan Kadyrov, who is the president of Chechnya and systematically kills gay people. Mm -hmm. Like these are fucked up things right. um, to the current narrative. But... Truth is, is it's honest for me. And people have to be able to talk about shit like this if they really want to do the needlework on systemic sure. stuff. Sure. Um, and I know that there, I know when I was a kid, uh, God bless boy George and George Michael and mm -hmm. everyone who was gay when I was growing up. Not that George was out, but who didn't know? Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know. I just thought that I just had nobody to relate to. And mm -hmm. I was thinking on a... Trent Reznor was my hero. Like I, yeah, yeah, I needed yeah. somebody who was speaking my language. Sure. And um, uh, pull me back. You grew up in Texas. Yeah, I did. Okay, so the reason why I, I wanted to put a bookmark there is that quote takes us to high school, middle school, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, this is going to be non-linear. This is why I mentioned Quentin Tarantino. Good, because I lost uh, my spot. Yeah, place. so now we're going to... So I want to talk about your upbringing briefly. Okay. And then we're going to circle back to the, the what you're up to now. So okay. upbringing, Texas, um, what that was like and how... It's a kind of like your evolution to becoming um, Buddy Wakefield. What I miss and love about Texas is I really enjoy polite people. Mm. I think there's uh, the tough people will hit on polite people. Wait, is it surface polite or is it true, true, true polite? A genuine. 
I think it's a deep polite that started at the surface. It's a difference between nice and kind. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? I think it's people who faked it till they made it. Um, I never loved the term fake it till you make it. No, I hate But I think term. that's what happened. Yeah. I think people faked the politeness. And then all of a sudden, you know, in evolution, it's, it's, uh, it's now the norm in the South. Um, but where that came from, and I'll just speak to the location that I was at, which is Baytown, Texas, about 20 minutes east of Houston. You know, we lived in, it's Exxon, Mobil, Shell, BP, Chevron, NASA, Halliburton, it's all there. Mm -hmm. it's, it's one big refinery for as far as the eye can see, just smokestacks and fire and, and metal and, um, and smell, disgusting smells. And, and then you put on top of that, the heat and the humidity, the sweltering humidity yeah. and heat. And then you put on top of that, the racial history sure. and the racism. What other choice do people have to survive than to be polite? It's a uh, pressure cooker, Texas. Fucking hell it is. <laughs> and then you put a, a fat, poor, awkward walking gay kid mm. in the middle of that. Yeah. Um, there was not a day that went by where I wasn't made fun of. Now I wasn't out of the closet, but everybody like boy George or George Michael knew that uh, everybody knew that I was way before I wanted them to and would constantly remind me that they knew even though I denied it. Um, somewhere in the ninth grade, I uh, moved to California briefly and I got a scholarship to Kids on Camera um, while we were out here. What uh, is Kids on Camera? It was, just, uh, it was, a acting, it oh, was okay. a acting on, on camera school. Um, and uh, this was in San Francisco and I got a scholarship there and at the end of it, they picked three students and they showed us... Uh, our videos and I saw myself on video and I went, mm. Oh, oh, good or oh bad? no, no. Oh fuck. That's how everybody knows I'm gay. I am fucking gay. Oh, <laughs> and so the overcompensation began immediately. I started correcting the way I walked. That's why I walk mm. so stiff. Now it's my hips are screwed oh. <laughs> that, um, I, you know, I was, when you believe, when one believes in a God, when God is God, yeah, God has the final say. Sure. And if the people who are giving, if your heroes who are giving you information let you know that God sends gay people to hell, yeah. then it's nothing but a negotiation from there on out with God of how can I not be gay? Right. To the point that in college, I was the president of the Christian Cowboys Friends and Fellowship right. Rodeo Association, riding bulls for Jesus, which is about the gayest thing anybody can do. So, or it's a great beard. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> So um, the overcompensation began the whole way. There was a terror. Uh, there was a terror the whole way. I was also drawn to the misfits. Luckily in my town, the misfits were really forward thinking and not entirely, you know, just punk rock to be punk rock and image, you know, with, with all of the, with the adornments and stuff. These were actual, like we, I, I took acid before I ever drank a beer. Mm. And we actually explored ourselves. We, we actually, um, now I didn't... That said, I didn't have, um, well, not the kind of sex I wanted to until I was 19. When I say explore ourselves, it was a mental unfolding and an investigation. And we were all really cerebral. Mm -hmm. We all really loved lyrical music, music that took us away, landed us in a safe space. Um, you know, and back to cliches, we were definitely Pink Floyd. We were definitely yeah. Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. We were, um, not that Trent landed people necessarily in a safe space, because <laughs> he was pissed. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, man, so growing up there, I was luckily, my friends where they knew whether they, I never, I was never the kind of guy to let people know or advance on anybody. I just kept a good space with all of them. I had really cool friends. I've always been lucky enough to surround myself with cool people. I've always been buddy, which has been a really gift of a name. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so despite the terror uh, and the self-preservation and the, and the angst that was constantly compounding, anger, by the way, is just a, one big compounded ball of sadnesses. Mm. And then that anger, when it gets to become a big compounded ball of angers, it becomes hate. And, yeah. and these, this is the metaphysics I was talking about earlier when I referred to Sankaras. And, you know, there's billions and billions over lifetimes. And, that, you know, I know whatever people are going to believe different things but energetically over lifetimes these sankaras have built up and to these human forms who are the masters of limitation and um really good at suffering without even having to work for it and there's a reason for that and so it's it's just physiological it's not personal and all we're here to do is to experience this form and to not react to the suffering and to dissolve that to transmute density 
at least the way I see it. And so what I think uh, I'm doing with my work is <clears throat> really starting off in that dense place, really laying it all out the, on the table and in a way that I think most people are scared to, like talking about getting a boner over a bully or... Yeah. Um, and then even rougher, there's some... There's some I'm really proud of myself and, and what I laid out in that book. Yeah. In this book. In fact, someone recently asked me what my highest... Well, let me finish the thought is first, that's what my work is. To, to start in that density and to show how I transmuted it mm -hmm. in case there's another kid like me who did feel alone. Sure. Uh, to know, I want to acknowledge that kids now are far more evolved than I was um, and far more in touch with options um, and certain awarenesses that I don't think we're available to us yeah, information Yeah, of course. It was, a, it was a different time too. I mean, you're, yeah. you're around my age. Um, I grew yeah. up with... Uh, you know, uh, I mean, right before Jerry Lewis was taping his eyes back and, you know, the, even the John Hughes music, uh, movies yeah. with, uh, which I'm such a big fan of, but with, with Long Duck Dong and there were no Fuck cool yeah. right? Asian kids. I mean, a Asians didn't become cool until the Fast and Furious. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah, we're, yeah, now, yeah. We're, now we're kind of, you know, getting in there. Yeah. So, how racist uh, was Long Duck Dong? Yeah. So I, <laughs> I, I grew up wanting to be white. And so what happened was um, in order to be white, because I couldn't change my skin color, yeah. Um, it would have to be through a certain some kind of activity. Mm -hmm. So break, break dancing was a ticket into the the cool kids uh, club. Which skate, the white people co-opted from black people. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, Hispanic, uh, my club. But um, the, the Christian soy board, that was, I got into skating yeah. to fit into with the yes. surfers. Um, I, I was never a jock, but I always had some kind of um, uh, ability, and that ability yep. was a ticket into the quad. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up, I, I, I get it. I, get I just it. had this conversation this week with a friend that I literally, uh, there were moments, because uh, it was suicidal, all this is, is lighthearted now because yeah. it turns out it was never personal and nobody gave a shit that I was gay, except my mom who I had to come out to twice. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I wanted to be retarded. I wanted to be retarded so that I didn't have to know, mm -hmm. so that I didn't have to feel so much, so I didn't have to know I was gay, so that God couldn't hate me because I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. um, and then I used to invent ways to, for it to be an accident. Like, I would literally sit around and, like, okay, I could dig out a hole, put a bunch of snakes in it, and step in. And no one would uh, ever know I killed myself. You how know, old like, were you? Uh, this is in high school. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I was deep yeah. into Jesus at this point. Sure. Like I'd been, to, I'd been baptized Episcopalian, juggled Southern Baptist and Nazarene growing up, Pentecostal church camps and Christian student union in high school. Wow. And then, and then Christian cowboys in college. How did you find poetry? Wait, real quick. Um, I, when you were talking before about anger, I saw a half circle that went from hurt to anger to hate. And I saw like a little, yeah. a little bit of a, a pattern of progression in uh -huh. people. Um, when did your love for words appear? Was it that young? Is it around that time? Were you journaling? What were you doing where you felt called, called to start um, the, the, the road of becoming a, a poet? The truth is... You, do, you, do you like writer or poet? What do you like? Do you like poet or no? I prefer writer. Okay, or, a writer. Um, poet's just, a, it's, it's just my internalized homosexuality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or homophobia, sorry. Yeah. My internalized homophobia is... Because uh, uh, there was no thing I did in this life that wasn't make funnable. So yeah. it's, you know, like yeah. gay, poet... Come on, that's right, so right, easy. Right, right. So I have over 20 years, I, I say I'm a writer, or, uh, but I avoid like the plague. I'm a spoken word artist, I'm a performance poet, I'm a poet. Yeah. Now, I'm a poet. I'm a poet, I've been a poet for 20 years. I'm making oh, a living as a poet. Yeah, you're I, embracing it now. Might as well. Full circle, yeah. Yeah, sure. I, I think I don't give a shit. Kind of uh, job title fluid, sure. whatever you want to call sure. Okay, so when did you fall in love with words? And so in the seventh grade, I do remember, I remember writing in the seventh grade, um, and, oh, I was obsessed with lists first. I was obsessed with WWF uh, wrestling. <laughs> yeah. And what I would do is write down a list. It would take like five or six pages of every wrestler I could name. And then, and then I would make brackets. And I, had, and I also collected every action figure, whether it was X-Men, <laughs> He-Man, right, Justice right, League, right. wrestlers. Right. And then uh, my mom's second husband built me. <laughs> there were many. We moved around wow. a lot. Not just mom, but dad. Yeah. Um, there were eight by the time I was in ninth grade. Wow. They were each other's first. By the time I was in ninth grade, there were eight marriages. Technically seven, but mom's third one was the worst, so I count him. Um, uh, but one of them had made me this wrestling ring. Sorry, that was a tangent. Um, a wrestling ring? A wrestling ring. Uh, out of, <laughs> like, they, they had started selling these. For the action figures, not for, for you. For the action figures, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and, uh. 
with bungee cords and yeah, yeah. And anyway, awesome. so I would I would write out these five page lists, uh, and then I would you know put brackets and I would wrestle each match, and I didn't know who was going to win. That was wow. part of the fun for yeah, me. Like yeah, I would just yeah. dive in. I didn't know the story. I was just creating it, and um, and so I loved doing that. And then I would once that bracket was finished. I would take it from like, you know, 500 down to 250. And I would literally, this would take me days to go through this whole battle royal. And, uh, I, and it excited me. And so I don't know if it was the penmanship itself that, that was, you know, like thoughts lead to feeling lead mm -hmm. to actions or sadness to anger to hate. Like the, maybe the writing the list led it all to writing a poem, to or writing a story, then writing a poem. Until I just was doing it and it was, it was always there. And I've always been writing. To, the thing about my writing is that it was always cathartic in a way that it actually provided a solution and a solution I may not have may or may not have been living at the time, but I knew it was the solution. So what I'm saying is that I wrote to my ideal self the entire time, whether I verbalized that or actually was conscious of it or not. I've been channeling this guy, this being who has been writing to his ideal self the whole time having, I mean, if you go back to my work, as far as when I'm 19, 20, 21, it's still got just as much heart and, uh, it's still got just as much heart and and want and and motivation to arrive in a safe place into a smart place into a wholesome place and um but that's not where i was living or how i was living and even in recent days there's times that that's arguable but i have learned to fill that guy's shoes better mm -hmm. and so that's what i've been writing the whole time and as metaphysically i become more and more aware and more information is is passed on to me or serendipitously occurs um then uh it's it's affirmed that it was it was a channel the whole time for me. When did you know that your writing was good? Did you go did you go to college or no? Was it just I did. I graduated. Um, it's from Sam Houston State University in uh, Huntsville, Texas. When did you know that uh, you had a gift? Oof, that's funny. That makes it makes me cringe that you said you had a gift. That's mm -hmm. one of those things I'm going to accept. Had uh, slash have you know? Not yeah, yeah. So uh, I knew I was onto something. I had the audacity to, my narcissism propelled me into the audacity to think my shit was important, which I think is most writers out there. Yeah. Well, the difference is that I was an obsessive editor. So I had a rhythm about me and, uh, and I also had these little rules, these obsessive rules. Like I don't want to repeat words twice. And I mean, even the tiny words like oh, to, of, I and, that. if, I that too. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, and, and I can literally, I have a piece called Horsehead that it took me three months to write, a nine, like a nine to five job, and it's four minutes long. And so <clears throat> that was the thing that separated me from other writers, understanding my rhythm, understanding my editing, understanding the ability to flip a cliche and to not bring mindfulness. I, I won't use the word mindfulness in my writing or, or <clears throat> soul. Oh, right, like words that are commercial. Soul or reality. Yeah. I have yeah. a rule about, uh, in later years, I've had a rule about not starting any poem with I or me or my, mm -hmm. you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so um, that's what separated me the whole way. And to go back to the answer, the question is because of those things, one thing leading to another and the butterfly effect of, of, being successful in writing is that I knew I was having an effect on people. I also knew I was unusually vulnerable more so than the people around me mm. and that people were getting something out of it, especially people who were avoidant uh, and, and not vulnerable at all. Yeah, because they getting see a that, lot out of what I was saying. They see that in you and that's something that they And that's they the want. stuff in avoidant people that is tucked the farthest back. Sure. And so there were, uh, I'm always so flattered like when, when, when military folk come up and say, Dude, you have no idea. Yeah, and the thing yeah. is, I do. Right. I do. We all do. Right. And, and uh, yeah. We all do. We're all in this together. Yeah. There's no us and them. This wall thing, this country, it's Muslim and Christian. We are all in this together in this collective consciousness, these yeah. agreements. We all make these agreements together, this narrative, this story. And that's part of the cutting of the cord is, and the people I surround myself with is, uh, we are perpetuating a new agreement and a new story that doesn't hurt. And I think there's so many people that will say, well, that sounds all fine and dandy, quite an idealist. Um, and those people, I just cut off right at that, right yeah, there. Yeah. Because that means they, they are not even trying to be where we could be, which is here. Mm -hmm. I want to start a new brush stroke. Um, I, I, I love I love the art of conversation and I see it almost uh, visually as kind of like a painting that we're creating and, and this is definitely not color by numbers which I love about you <laughs> um, 
The word serendipity. Yeah, you know, you know, it's my superpower. Well, I just I want to start. So I'm going to brush that serendipity, and then I just what does what does that mean to you? It's the and why is that important word important to you? Serendipity is fundamental to the infrastructure of consciousness. It, there, it, it just exists. This mm -hmm. uh, it's available in every moment. Uh, miracles are not miracles; they are constant, recurring reminders of how much we have not been paying attention. Mm -hmm. um, serendipity. It grows the more present we become, the more aware and observant and listening we become. It every time, every time I flake on myself and I just, you know, I'm five weeks sober now. But when I like, if I go off on drink for days, you know, if I just disconnect and detach, there's sort of a muted version of me yeah. living around. Yeah. The moment I become present and healthy and 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 living in the direction I actually prefer to live to my highest excitement serendipity kicks right back in and just says hey i'm still here man this is part of the consciousness this is this is the next level of consciousness for you humans this is it this is where it's always here you're connected where you're like cell phones you can call each other anytime mm -hmm. psychically physically like we've given you all capabilities it's an infinite resource this universe and serendipity that. is is the is the permission for all that i love that you said you're um living to your highest excitement i made a little note there because Usually it's uh, what people say is your highest potential. And I think that word can be loaded. But when you said highest excitement, yeah. that, that got me excited. <laughs> yeah, I learned it from a guy named Paul Anka, uh, Daryl Anka, Paul Anka's nephew, <laughs> claims to channel uh, a collective uh, oversoul. <laughs> this, um, I shouldn't laugh because it's super valid. Uh, but he, so I got it, I stole it from him. It's uh, live to your highest excitement with zero expectations of the outcome. And I mean zero expectations of the outcome, which is also why the success in writing, because I never expected anything. I was just doing it because mm -hmm. I loved it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but that's when shit plays out. Yeah. When you, I mean, expectation is yep. what blocks the stars from lighting up. Yep, zero expectations of the, of, of the outcome. I was just doing it because I loved it. That led me, um, the moment I diverted from it in a severe way that led to devastation, I, which devastation is its own useful tool because that helped me commit to the path that I really wanted. And once I committed, boy, the presence was unstoppable. That led to bliss, which I thought was just something, but is actually a bigger word than yes. It's like this vast epic experience that, um, well, that's just, it can only, it's experiential. It sounds like, you know, uh, people sitting around just chatting it up, bliss, bliss, but it's an experiential um, uh, gift. Um. It's not paint by numbers, is it? I keep losing where I'm at. That's okay. There's a um, there's a uh, a blow a blow. What is it called? The what's going on outside right now? There's there is a, a blower. There's a blower. <laughs> there's someone blowing outside. <laughs> uh, he's and, getting down too. He's just been he's been yeah, blowing in one spot for a while. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to to title to, to put that under the umbrella of serendipity and accepting it instead yeah. of because uh, then there's another part of me that's like, should we stop? Should we you know? And it's like no, man. Just 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 roll with it. I like it. Um, that's the whole point of this. So. Uh, when did you come to Los Angeles? And then I want to start um, talking about. Do you know what? what can you're I say out. something about that blower? Yeah, of course. Because my thoughts. Let's hope I arrive at the at the exciting place. I think I'm going to. Um, I was doing another interview actually in my apartment, and I have a hummingbird feeder, and there's like seven or eight hummingbirds who live there. Like I, mm -hmm. I have hummingbirds outside my window all day mm -hmm. long until sundown. And he was doing this interview, and I said, "Hey, there's the hummingbirds," and he goes, "Wow, what do you think that means?" And I said they're hungry. <laughs> mm. They're just hungry. Dude. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I think, uh, something in the new book, I, uh, there's a piece called the momentum and, um, it says, uh, my, f uh, basically my, f my father threw a glass with nails in it and before it hit the ground, he reached enlightenment. So my father uh, is it's saying basically, uh, my father being the collective conscious in this, mm. it, the context is better explained in there, but my father threw a glass with nails in it before it reached the ground, he hit enlightenment. So um, there's this enlight there's, there's enlightenment, it's happening, it's, it's, it's happened for him. But before he reached it, he did throw a glass with nails, that's part of his experience and, and that crashed on the ground. And that caused the guy that came along to get a flat tire, and that caused him to miss the you know right. the birth of his baby, and his, right, and, right. his and his and his wife was pissed because that was the last straw, and yep. she kicked him out, and all these things happened because my father threw a glass with nails in it, and uh, there are things in momentum that are happening 
that are out of our control, that are not personal, that actually have nothing to do with us directly. And there's a guy outside with a blower right now, really fucking with this interview because yeah. he's just blowing in one spot. <laughs> but he needs he hasn't left. He needs to get every leaf out of that crevice, man. He sure. is he's sure. into it. So whatever reason he's got going on, his editing process for blowing a corner out, man, <laughs> it's just happening. You know, and, and here's the exercises to actually embrace and accept. Oh, but it doesn't mean there's not enlightenment surrounding all of this or within all of this is my point. Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, to, to actually just accept that as music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wish I could. I'm so auditory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about um, you in Los Angeles. Let's talk about yeah. uh, what's new, what you're doing now. I know you've been on tour and you're going back on tour. And, mm. and uh, that's why I wanted to catch you today before you left. Uh we also had a great workout. Uh, also, Buddy and I, um, we did this for a while. Um, we Speaking of serendipity, we hung a dinner and invited nine strangers, called it nine. And it was... Every um, month, new people. Every month, new people. Um, and I love this. It was so cool. It was basically uh, from your Uber driver to your friend well. to a celebrity, whoever. And we did a little potluck and we had conversations that you normally wouldn't We normalize have. conversation on everything from serendipity to aliens, the Akashic Records. Yeah. Just every, uh, and we were, and it wasn't just the choir. It was, you know, fellas from the gym. Yeah, it yeah. Was, it was it everyone. Was everybody across the spectrum. I actually, I, I love picking people where I knew there was going to be resistance. Yeah. You know, yeah. but not where they're throwing chairs we, and shit. How surprising was it that everybody was on board? I mean, there were a couple that seemed hesitant. Yes, yes. Um, but do you remember Alex Gould was at the first one? That's Nemo, by the way. We found him. <laughs> he, he, he came to our first, our first nine, and there was a point. There was a woman who's a prof, uh, whose profession is in the Akashic Records, and oh, right. she was oh, ref, she was referring to information she was getting from the ether uh, as masters, teachers, and loved ones. And my whole body was cringing, like, "Oh, this is so uncomfortable. I wish yeah. you wouldn't call." You know whatever messages you're getting masters, teachers, and loved ones, it sounds like the Golden Child movie. It's just so, you know, humorous to me. I would make fun of this if I was a kid. But the fact is I believe her. I believe in her. I just didn't want her to use that language. And so I stopped and checked in with everybody. I don't know if you remember this. And Alex Gould said, I was like, how's everybody doing? And Alex said, I'm actually pretty good. I just am wondering if everybody else is okay. Uh, And it turns out everybody was feeling that. Like everybody said, I'm okay. I just want to know if everybody yeah, else Yeah, everyone's is. taking care of other people. Yeah. 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 Which is sweet. Yeah. yeah. I love it. So, um, yeah, the nine was an incredible experience. I was really thankful to have that. Um, but I got to tell you, can I jump tracks for a second? Yes. I got goosebumps up my back the moment. The fir- your first example was the Uber driver. Yes. So I'm five weeks sober. Mm-hmm. Uh, five weeks tomorrow. And... Um, and you know I'm all or nothing, so sobriety yeah. for me isn't just about alcohol. Like we're going, Everything. like it's it's full, the board. it's the full, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing that's uh, that was off limits. Yeah, which is why you wouldn't have sugar when we uh, started this, and you, he wanted to know everything that was in the food that I offered. Yeah, I'm just giving my body a chance yes. to to detox. And um, on the second day of coming down, which is a really emotional experience for anybody, it's a it's a it's it's you know it's suicidal worthlessness, and maybe not because nobody wants to feel that way the chemistry in the body is one big muck and mire. And yeah. on day two, I was coming down with a friend of mine who had made the mistake of going in with me uh, for nine weeks mm-hmm. um, on a bender. Uh, this is, by the way, it's worth saying that this is my first time, this is the first time in my life uh, since I was 14 and started where I've committed, where I've actually prof- said out loud, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. So that's why five weeks feels really important to me right, after right. all these years. Like I've gone sober a lot in my life, a year at a time. That's what's I don't want in a year to, to start. Like I, I'm happy to be done. It, I just went to a place this summer that I don't remember um, to uncover all of the, this. It's metaphysical again for me. And it's, and it's an addiction to sensations. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, on, the, on the second day of coming down, I, went, I was going to a buddy's house who was coming down with me. Um, cause we just wanted to support each other and make sure we showed up. And as, as much as we wanted to lay in bed for a month and not move, we just stayed active, uh, and held each other to that. And it was really helpful. Um, man, it was helpful. I know most people come down alone cause it's so, it can be so frankly embarrassing or exhausting. Um, I got into the Uber on the second day and also something about coming down, then I'll finish the story is that, um, uh, it is emotional there's 
there's no time when I would open my mouth in the first week or, or two when I wasn't crying. Mm. I found some junior mints in my freezer. That was where more tears of joy. <laughs> Those were more tears of joy. But, but you get like, there was nothing. You, you I wasn't crying. You're in the fry bag. You there, find it at the bottom. <laughs> the ingredients. <laughs> There's so much protein. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, man. But I get into this Uber and it's, it's day two. Like, this is, this is straight in the, in, in the center of suicide and, and worthlessness. And I get in and I'm just hoping to make it without sweats or tripping in any regard um, to across town to West Hollywood from Los Feliz. And I get into the Uber and a woman turns around and she's staring right at me. And she was so familiar when I looked up. You have to keep in mind I was just out of my, I was still out of my head a little bit. And, and I'm staring at her stare at me and it was Camille from our, one of the last nines we did. Oh, shit. She was my Uber driver. And oh she, she looked at me and she said, oh, this might make me cry right now. She said, I, uh, I wasn't... Cry, let it out, man. I, was, I wasn't going to pick you up because I didn't want you to know I was still an Uber driver. Oh. And here I am, tweaked out of my mind from nine weeks of drugs. Oh, jeez. And... Um, Wait, because she when she saw the the when she, she saw your name pop when she up, saw my she mom like, uh, my name pop up right, she right. said I wasn't gonna pick you up because I didn't want uh, you to know I was still an Uber yeah, driver yeah, yeah. as if that's fucking anything to be shameful sure, about sure. especially where I come from and right. so I looked at her and I said okay then oh, I don't know what I said frankly yeah. I can try and quote myself the gist of it was yeah I'm nine weeks tweaked out yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. two days sober yeah and uh I. Uh, and then we unpacked everything on that ride. We're having lunch next week on Friday. Nice. She's written a graphic novel. She's trying to get out there. I'm just, um, I'm just excited to be friends with her. She was such a great guest at that dinner. Uh, I think we had a Lyft driver, an Uber driver, me, you, and there were uh, five other people. I can't remember who was at that one, but it's uh, yeah. It was. I think it was funny because for a while we were calling it the. Uh, uh, infrastructure of consciousness potluck, <laughs> which is, yeah, yeah. which is, uh, so intense and relaxing at the same time. I love how, um, when someone says something like that, that requires courage and a lot of transparency, it produces instant glue. Um, because she could have also picked you up and be like, oh, I don't Oh, do I know you? Like she could have mm -hmm. done that shit. Mm -hmm. And then instantly the magnets are flipped. Mm -hmm. But by her saying, I, you know, her admitting that I, I was I'm embarrassed of what you yeah. think of me. Yeah. Now you're humanizing yourself, you know, and now well, we have know, two humans, which creates a space or soil for these conversations. If not, it's all surface. It's yeah. all, it's the non-negotiable like we were talking yeah. about. Right. And so, yeah. um, that's why you guys started. people have to be able to meet at a certain level. And that was our guests at nine. While they were from all walks of life, we yeah. still expected them to yeah. already meet us halfway. Well, once they enter, and when so, they leave, they could be who they want. Yeah. Right. They could so we back. knew, we knew inviting them into that, that they were going to meet us halfway. So I knew she was a, a, a smart woman. I'm just, I was just so glad to see, I love it when people live up to my memory of them as good people yeah. or when it's a good movie yeah. in 1993 and I see it, it again now, up. it still holds up. <laughs> right. I like that about people too. Oh, I love it when good. people love hold up. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I say that a lot. I, I say that, um, one of the most, um, the greatest compliments that you could have is that you actually hold up, you know, the, the consistency yeah. part, right? I've not always done that. No, I, I've not. been on a perpetual tour for 20 years and you know, I've done over 2000 shows. When I show up to a venue though, it's their only night with Buddy. And so it's pizza, beer, and the same goddamn questions. You know, what inspires you? Can I pick your brain? Yeah. Uh, how was the how's the tour, which is its own broad avalanche of a question. And um, I have so many times not been patient. I have so many times been sad about not being home or in a, uh, at odds with my partner or sick in the middle of winter and driving myself everywhere. I've, I, I don't have a team yeah. of people who've helped me. I've done it all myself. There's no other manager or agent or guy at the computer or intern. It's, I book it. I do the routing. I at The hotels, I am on stage. I'm dealing with the organizers. Sometimes I've done it under a different name so they didn't know they were dealing with me and I could just be whoever I wanted. But it's all been me. And so mm -hmm. that's fucking exhausting. Yeah. On top of driving two to six hours a day, on top of trying to get a workout in, on top of trying to eat yeah, right. It's like in the middle of America, yeah. trying to eat right yeah. is fucking hard. It's like being a garage band and touring and funding yeah. yourself, all that kind of shit. Yeah, so I'll show up exhausted with myself, with the day, with the elements. And yeah. there's this cheery woman on the other end of this 
boy who's been a fan of my work forever and meets me and is like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't hold up. <laughs> you don't hold up. <laughs> right. And that's, I paid the price for that. I've paid the price for yeah. that many times yeah, along the way. Sure. And it's saddened me. It's also created an awareness in me that's still got me. I still, I'm still doing it. Yeah. I'm still going and I still hold up in terms of writing and my trajectory and what I'm about, even though that guy's not always been present. So what's next for you? What are you working I've, on? So I've got you? my highest excitement are the contents of this new book. Mm -hmm. It's Acquire of Honest Killers. It's my first book of new work in eight years. Where can we find it? Uh, writebloody.com, any indie bookstore, Amazon is a last resort. Mm -hmm. um, Your website? My, not yet. Oh, not I've, yet. Yeah, I agreed for six months I wouldn't, because we've done that with every other book oh, I've put okay, out, okay. And, okay. and it really takes their sales up because the fans just prefer supporting the artist, sure. which is fantastic. But I agree with them this time. They okay. can build momentum the other way. Right. Excuse me. So, um, and the book is a collection of, so it's half prose, half poetry. It's, mm -hmm. it's uh, there was a, there was a moment of devastation on December 28th, 2013, where I left, uh, who I thought was the love of my life, our home, mm -hmm. our animals, mm -hmm. our landscaping company. Um, I, 45 minutes later, I was in an Airbnb basement. I opened up Facebook. An article had been released because Ani DeFranco and I agreed to do workshops uh, at one of the largest former slave plantations in America. What we didn't know is that we had agreed to do workshops at one of the largest former slave plantations in America, but all the articles had already been released, making us look like we knew all the details and were just these inconsiderate racists. And, um, but the truth is my reaction, because I was so grieving so much, Fuck the excuse. My reaction was less than graceful. Mm. And when I threw out my middle fingers and basically told everybody to stand down, what it looked like um, was telling people of color to fuck off. Mm. And so CNN's raw story called the right, next morning. Right. Seattle, Seattle Stranger uh, 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 republished it in their paper word for word. And Berkeley called and canceled. Washington called and canceled. University of Washington. So, um, the, the, and, then, and then three days. So basically, I've lost my home, my love, uh, my community. As I'm going into a world tour where I need my livelihood. Yeah. And three days. Uh, and so I've got two and a half weeks to finish booking this. Buy a van make all this happen myself while I'm at the worst grieving place in my life. And I find out um, three days later that I'm HIV positive mm -hmm. and the meds then weren't as polished as they are right now. So, um, they were pretty good, but I had to take this drug called a tripla and, um, a tripla, uh, they tell you that you might feel like you have to take it before bed. If it hits you while you're awake, you might feel like Superman. And they tell you that mm -hmm. so that you feel great. Right. What they're not telling you is that, Maybe not Superman, maybe the devil. Mm -hmm. <laughs> maybe it's going to be a hallucinogen like, like all the other powerful hallucinogens you took. We're just going to set you off on the right path with this power of suggestion. Right. Thank God I had experience with hallucinogens because for two weeks into this devastation, I was... Um... Anyway, I'm reliving all this and I think we get the point. It was devastating. Uh, the book starts there. Mm. Well, well it, starts, uh, it starts with unpacking the sexuality, childhood, uh, who I was, what I was about, and the trajectory I'd set myself on. It talks, uh, it, there's, there's a nice, it, there's, a, there's a poem about my family, which has been turned into a short film called Farmly, which won the USA Film Festival oh, wow, and the Texas Award. Um, it's won three good ones now. And so it's, that's the beginning. And on page 28 is when the devastation starts. Mm. And from the devastation, it moves through it. And it's dense. And it gets it all out. And it, and it points the finger in the right direction. And then we get to the right direction. And um, so it's prose that informs the poetry. Nice. And uh, I'm really excited about the work, the contents. I think it's the best thing I've ever put out. Um, I'm genuinely stoked for my L.A. show here. Yeah. Just, I mean, it's a world tour, buddywakefield.com. You can get tickets. Uh, right now, Just it's just sort of um, Ohio West um, everything on that line west and then I'll start east coast in March and the rest of the world um, follows uh, at, LA in December but LA is December 15th yep um, and I'm most excited about that show for a couple of reasons one I've been in LA for four years and I've not done a big show here I've done shows everywhere else but I've just not made one happen here because I've kind of wanted to make it count yeah and this new book counts mm -hmm. and to get to the show, I'm, you know, I'll be, I'll be finishing two, a two-month run on the road right. and coming down from the Bay Area. 
in the Bay uh, are four of my, you know, I don't really have a best friend, there, but I have about seven people in my life who are 100% because sure. you can't get better than that. Sure. So four of my 100%ers and I are mm-hmm. getting in a van and we're trucking. We're going to stop and have a picnic in Big Sur and we're going to yep. take a couple days and just be with each other oh, and it. end up at that, my show. That's the runway, huh? Yeah. What am I, about 75%? John, what are you? Because I'm going to be there. What are you? 92%. Damn, 92. Yeah. 92. That's nice. Uh, we'll talk about that 80% percent too. Yeah, we will we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, where can we find you? Where, where, where are you on Instagram? Uh, everything, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are all slash Buddy Wakefield yeah. or at Buddy Wakefield. And guys, check out his TED Talk. Um, he has an amazing TED Talk. Uh, and I remember when I first met him, I checked that out. Is it called Breathe? I know it's about breath. It's called Free Air. It's, it's free actually, air. this it's is so great. funny. It, and you know what? This may be a qualification. Uh, so be it. I am actually really embarrassed of that presentation because I felt like I was such a no. poor representation of air. I was, I was in a bad place with my partner. I wasn't breathing while I was talking about breathing. No, it was great. And, uh, uh, let, me, let me tell you, it was great. And also... Uh, well, just let me say also, yeah. when you see it, there's an entire visual presentation going on above me oh, that that's not in the YouTube. Right. So there's a point when I start breakdancing that's supposed to be really funny. <laughs> and you can't see, and breakdancing poorly, but you can't see what's above, above me. You, right. So it just looks ridiculous. Right. I, you know, I didn't know that and it all played well to okay. me. Okay. Um, I was also kind of embarrassed because I did a TED Talk, but it wasn't, I didn't have the red circle. And I judged myself because I didn't have the red circle because it was a TEDx alone. Yeah. And yours is a TEDx? No, mine was TEDx. Oh, yours, yeah. Okay, yeah. Mine, okay. So, so, so there's TEDx, which uh-huh. gets the red circle. Uh huh. The TEDx Saloon at UCLA doesn't get the red circle. It's like a little bit. It's kind of like the. It's oh, like it's a, like it's like a basic it, comedy. It's like a knockoff. <laughs> no, it's, so it's like I was like fuck because I got the TED Talk. It's technically a TED Talk, but I didn't get the red circle when I got there. I was like, oh, this is okay. like this is like wearing fake Levi's, you know? And yeah, you guys like, didn't get the extra leg room. And yeah, and I fucking beat myself up. And then I saw yours. I was like, oh, you got the red circle. That's a legit TED Talk. You know what the legit TED Talk is, is just where TED started. But, you know, even that has, has become its own cliche. If you, The best TED Talk yeah. to watch, frankly, is Sarah Silverman's. It's, you just Google banned TED Talk Sarah Silverman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, all of them are great. Um, well, thanks for hanging out in my kitchen. Yeah. And um, I'm excited about uh, your new uh, trajectory. Uh, I'm excited about this, uh, the uh, starting tomorrow, six weeks of sobriety or five? It's five weeks tomorrow, it's yeah. Five weeks tomorrow. And I'm excited to check in yeah. n- next year and be able to say the same thing. Yeah. We'll see. One day at a time, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, buddy. Thank you for hanging out. Thanks for having me. All right. Be welcome.